Good evening to our neighbors and listeners. Coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning Germantown InfoHub Radio Hour. I'm the community reporter, Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom Join. And while I am usually with my colleague, community organizer, Maleka Fruin, with some appearances from Baby Bayou, tonight I am on my own. The InfoHub Hour explores all things happening in Germantown and the city of Philadelphia, and we cover them in an hour or less. So you can check out what is going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org, on Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, or on Facebook at germantowninfohub. Well, we have a very, very, very full show planned today, which is broken up into two segments. First, we will hear about the functions of the Philadelphia Citizens Police Oversight Commission from senior policy analyst Talia Grimmage, The CPOC has new functions that former versions previously did not possess, and so we're really excited to just hear her dig a little bit deeper into that. And then we are chatting with Nicole Cobb, who works with A Path to Prosperity, a job readiness program under Mercy Neighborhood Ministries. Nicole, who is the class instructor, gives us some of her background on the program and how it is transforming people's lives. And now, let's get into our show. Civilian oversight in Philadelphia is not anything that is new. It actually started in 1958, and over the years, it has undergone several different versions and rebrandings. And so this version of the Citizens Police Oversight Commission is the most recent version, and we were formerly the Police Advisory Commission. That is Talia Grimmage, a senior policy analyst with Philadelphia Citizens Police Oversight Commission, or the CPOC. The CPOC was rebranded and reformed just this past April from what was known as the Police Advisory Commission, which was started in 1993. The CPOC has roots dating back to 1958, as Grimmage stated, when it was known as the Police Advisory Board. That group stood for only 11 years before the former Philadelphia mayor, James H. J. Tate, dissolved the group in 1969. Unlike its predecessors, the CPOC has more power to launch investigations to ensure that the mission for accountability, transparency, and equity of the Philadelphia Police Department is enacted. Right now, there are nine commissioners from around the city and 13 staffers that make up the office. Grimmage speaks more about what the CPOC is and its functions. The Civilian Police Oversight Commission is the city of Philadelphia's uh, civilian oversight agency of the Philadelphia Police Department. Our mission is to improve the relationship between the police department and the community. And so we do this in a variety of ways. We take complaints against police officers. We issue officer commendations for police officers that go above and beyond the call of duty. We uh, attend community events. We speak at uh, community events. We have a policy unit that examines the policies and procedures of the Philadelphia Police Department that, and we review them for equity, for, um, you know, to see where we are in line with some other cities. We look at best trends, industry practices, and see um, where Philadelphia can improve. And we have an auditing and monitoring unit where we audit uh, investigations and the police department's policies and procedures as well. And we also participate in 
you know, the PBI panel, which is the police board of inquiry. And that is the board that hears allegations of police misconduct. And so for the first time, there is a civilian that's in the room that is able to, you know, listen to the allegations and give a recommendation on any disciplinary action to the police commissioner. And we have a lot of other things going on. We do community outreach. We go to community events. Uh, we have police uh, community me mediation that started. And so we have a lot of different things going on. But Part of, part of what we're doing now is just really letting the community know that we exist, we're here, what we do. We also issue like explainers um, to the community where we like sort of talk about police policies that the public may not know about. And we have nine commissioners um, and they are from different districts in the city. They come from, you know, different walks of life. Some are attorneys. They're, you know, um, we have uh, one of our commissioners is 18 or 19 years old. So we have some youth representation as a commissioner. Um, they're all, you know, people that are active in their communities, and they were selected by a selection panel. Um, I want to say they got over like 300 applicants from people in the community that were interested in being commissioners. And so they selected nine, and they were, you know, um, appointed by city council. And so they're our commissioners. One of the ways that the CPOC strives to support the community is its involvement in the Police Board of Inquiry CAT hearings which examine the individual complaints of misconduct made by citizens. As a next step to the submission of complaints by citizens, they are then allowed to come in and have their side of the story told. Unlike past oversight groups, a commissioner is present in these meetings to give their evaluation and help assess an outcome, if the case is sustained. So caps are the complaints against police officers that are made from, you know, they're started by citizens or, you know, residents of Philly. And so those are, those hearings are open to the public. Those are um, hearings where whatever the, the allegation was is considered uh, sustained, which means that internal affairs has, you know, um, determined that the alleged conduct took place based on their investigation. Um, we don't do the investigations ourselves. Um, right now, but what we do is we take the complaints, we forward them to internal affairs, and then we will um, monitor or audit the case. And so we have opportunity, we'll go um, and we will be present when they interview the complainant or when they interview the officer that's alleged to have, you know, um, engaged in misconduct. We can ask questions that become a part of the record. Um, and then if the allegation is sustained and then it, it continues to the process to where they um, are sent to PBI, Police Board of Inquiry, our office rotates, you know, on the panel. And so there's always a civilian that sits there and we listen to, you know, the case, the department advocate um, brings the allegations to the panel and just lets us know, you know, this is what we found. This is what we believe, you know, the um, disciplinary code, this is what vi the violation was. And then the officer is there with, you know, they have a representation from FOP that is sort of like the defense attorney that will speak on their behalf. And then at the end, um, you know, we make a recommendation, the panel does, on what we think the discipline should be. If, number one, if the alleged misconduct took place and if, in fact, they violated a policy. And so uh, the vote does not have to be unanimous. You know, everyone has their own, um, you know, uh, recommendation form that they fill out. So uh, CPOC, from our perspective, we say what we think. You know, the other two panel members have their own. And then... All of it goes to the police commissioner who will review, you know, all three um, opinions and then we'll make a determination on 
what discipline um, should happen. And so when it's a cap hearing, you know, the um, complainant is in the room as well. So the person is there to explain, tell their story, you know, about this is what happened. You know, this is why I, you know, filed a complaint. And so they're able to really give a full account of, you know, their experience. So the cap hearings, I mean, they're scheduled like on a rolling basis. So we get the schedule um, at the beginning of the month and it'll just tell us, you know, this day there are two cap hearings and PBI is Monday through Thursday. It's not, they don't do hearings on Friday. So um, you can have one a day, two a day, you know, depending on how they're scheduled. The CPOC also does monthly community meetings where they educate and interact with the community around topics that are related to, but not limited to, policing. We usually have them once a month and we have a, the topics vary, you know, if it's, for example, you know, for um, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, our meeting, we we had, you know, war um and special victims, they did a presentation on sexual abuse and how those um, allegations are investigated from the police and what resources are available to um, survivors of sexual abuse. Um, when it was Mental Health Awareness Month, we talked to someone from the Department of Behavioral Health and um, Intellectual Disability Services, along with somebody from PPD, and they talked about the um, they're the CERT team, the critical incident team that comes out when they're, you know, mental health issues, when people call in, you know, with PPD. We've had, um, you know, recently in uh, Hunting Park, there was an incident where there was a lieutenant at the 39th district that was recorded using the N-word you know, over the police radio. So we had a meeting in the Hunting Park community where we just gave people opportunity and space to talk about that incident. You know, this is an individual that has been amongst you and policing in this community. And what does that mean now that you know um, that this event happened? You know, we had someone from PPD's Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, they came and just talked a little bit about how um, they are trying to change the culture of policing, you know, from the inside. Uh, last month, we had our commissioners, um, we went, we were in West Philadelphia, so we kind of introduced our commissioners to the West Philly community. We had a moment of silence for Tiffany Fletcher, who was the, um, you know, the Parks and Rec employee that was shot, um, and we gave, you know, the community an opportunity just to kind of unpack that a little bit. We had a counselor that was on staff in case anybody felt triggered or they wanted to just, you know, talk a little bit more about it. Um, in Germantown, the previous month, we had a meeting where we, um, we were in the 14th district where we talked about the history of stop and frisk. And then we had someone from the Civilian Police Academy do a presentation. I don't know that a lot of community members know that that exists. Um, this most recent class, CPOC, we did a presentation about civilian oversight to just talk to, you know, some of the community members about what oversight is, you know, what it is not, <laughs> you know, what um, their role is and their responsibility is, is, is uh, credible, you know, messengers and empowered citizens, you know, when you see something, say something, and how each of us really have a stake in how our communities are policed, you know, and so there are times when people think that CPOC is like anti-officer. We're not anti-police, you know, but we are for the transparency and accountability of our police department. And so we try to work with PPD when we can. You know, there are times when we have to work together, but we also understand that our, um, loyal, not loyalty, that's probably the wrong word to use, but we are accountable to the community, you know, and so holding police accountable and making sure that policing in Philadelphia is transparent, is fair, is equitable. That is our main goal. 
So when should people reach out to the CPOC? Is there any appropriate time to do so? Here's what Grimmage says, along with an important statement about why it's important that community members stay connected with the CPOC. So community members who want to reach out to the Citizens Police Oversight Commission have a variety of tools. You can email us at cpoc at phila.gov. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. You can call us 215-685-0891. Uh, or you can visit our website and there are complaint forms on our website and commendation forms and you can fill those out and send them to us and we'll receive them and we'll reach back out to you. You know, I say this all the time to people. I don't know anybody that doesn't have an opinion about policing, you know, whether it's good or bad, you know, in Philadelphia, you know, we really have an opportunity for our residents to be really involved in the civilian oversight process, you know, and whether that's just, People keep in touch with us and they come to our community meetings that we host every month. Um, you know, we're always asking people to, you know, give us ideas on, on things that you're seeing in your community that you think need to be addressed. And just to, you know, follow us on our social media, keep in touch with us, um, just because we really need the community support. And our job is to be the voice of everyone else. So we really can't speak for you and speak on the behalf of the community unless the community is sort of involved in what we're doing. Neighbors, that was Talia Grimmage speaking about the functions of the Philadelphia Citizens Police Oversight Commission. You can read more about the functions of the CPOC at our website at www.germantowninfohub.org. You can access some of the functions of the CPOC, like filing a complaint or recommending an officer for a commendation by visiting philadelphiagovernor slash CPOC. And remember to stay connected and updated with the commission by following them on Instagram and Twitter at PHLCPOC and on Facebook at Philadelphia Citizens Police Oversight Commission. Another thank you to Talia Grimmage for lending her time to the Info Hub for the completion of this segment. As read on their website, the mission of Mercy Neighborhood Ministries are to respond in a spirit of mercy to the needs of the underserved community. They have been doing this in partnership with the wider Tioga Nicetown community for over 35 years now. And between food distribution, youth development, and an adult day program, it is very clear that this organization strives to serve its community. Earlier this year, Mercy Neighborhood Ministries added a new program to ensure the job readiness of young men ages 18 through 34 in the community, and it is a direct response to the rising violence that we have seen in our city, and it leaves its attendees empowered and ready to seek employment. I got to speak with the class instructor, Nicole Cobb, about how this program is carving out a path of prosperity for community members. You'll hear some of that right now. Okay, I am sitting here with Nicole Cobb from A Path to Prosperity. Nicole, how are you doing today? I am doing awesome. Thank you so much for asking. Absolutely, absolutely. So just tell me a little bit about yourself, Nicole. Well, Nicole, let me back up. My name is Nikki, say no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I am, we love it. We love uh, it. I'm a Philly native, okay? Uh, born and raised in Philly, parents from North Carolina and Harrisburg. 
um, when I say Philly native, I grew up here. I still live here. I live in the house that my family have. I went to Little Flower. I stayed in Pennsylvania and went oh. to Lincoln. You know, so I'm I'm Philly all day, every day. I bleed green. Yes. <laughs> I know that's right. You went to Little Flower? I went to Little Flower right okay. up here on 10th and Luzerne. That's right outside that Hunting Park. So that yep. was, even in my childhood, that was a special, special place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, after all the nuns, I wanted an HBCU. So I went to Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, yes. I got to put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. What was your track? My track was public affairs. Would you believe it? I wanted to be psychology in the beginning. And I was like, mm, I don't think I can do that. That's too many problems in my head already. Mm-hmm. So public affairs dealing with the policy of what works in our city mm-hmm. was where I went. Um, and political science and all of that was really my forte at the time. Um, from there, I was like, okay. I went to University of Phoenix and got my master's in organizational management because okay, I can have public affairs and policy, but I don't have no idea what to do with it. So this is what helps me organize my thoughts, organize my job environment, organize others. So that's what really helped me kind of set my career track. That's amazing. What led you to Mercy Neighbors? How'd you get there? So luckily, um, during my lifetime, I've made several connections. And when Mercy received the grant, for the gun violence or community engagement um, funding. Um, They were working with NWAN Opportunities, a woman there named Myra Brown. She's worked with me in the past and she told them that she had the perfect person for it. What Myra didn't realize is that right at that moment, my family had been affected by gun violence. Um, My young cousin was shot at ShopRite up here at Broad and Alany. And it was a devastation to our family. Um, So when this opportunity came on, I was working at PA CareerLink. Okay, I was already doing workforce development. I was helping people with the resumes, talking them through the whole PA CareerLink situation. But when this opportunity came and it was more holistic for me, it was more actually touching not the masses but the person and their spirit and their soul i had to take that move and i am forever grateful to have made that move or that transition in my life so that's how i got the mercy and that's how i plan to stay because it's it's needed it's just needed i know that's right so we're on the topic now. So let's talk okay. about what a path to prosperity is. Just give me a little bit of feedback. I mean, a little bit of background on what that is. Okay. So path to prosperity is a part of uh, the community expansion grant with 31 different nonprofits in Philadelphia received this grant funding. What Mercy decided to do was out of their adult education program was develop this workforce development arm of Mercy. The Path to Prosperity, they decided to make it a paid job readiness program in where we're combating the gun violence by getting people ready for work. Our job is to get them one, simple as that. And typically we would engage young men, black and brown, between the ages of 13 and four. But given that mercy is mercy, all are welcome. And so one of the biggest things that I have to say is that gun violence does not just affect our black and brown young men. It affects 
the entire family. So by doing that, I can't turn away the mothers or the aunties or the daughters that also are looking for work readiness help. So that's what we do. Um, oh, go I, was, I was gonna ask how long the program was has been running thus far. The program um, first cohort started in May. So right now we're working on our fifth cohort. We've okay. had, yeah, yeah, we've had, <laughs> go through I've had a total of 36 people that have been trained in the program I've had approximately 12 that have um, got jobs through our employment connector as well as on their own now that they've had an updated resume and know how to interview um, and we're we keep pushing forward um, one thing I wanted to mention is our biggest thing right now is the fifth cohort getting people to come on out. I don't know if it's the weather, school started, um, you know, so they're taking their kids to school, but we're losing my audience. And I'm trying to find the best way to let them know that we're still out here to help. I just need bodies in the seats. Let me help you. So our program actually is being taught out of Temple University Student Faculty Center, which is 3340 North Broad Street on the fourth floor. Our classes run Mondays and Thursdays from 1.30 to 4 p.m. Um, we are paying people in a $500 Visa gift card, which is paid in installments. Like every two weeks you come to work, every two weeks you get paid. Uh, we are now able to offer people uh, free SEPTA rides home um, if they make it to the first class, you know. so. It's a very simple process, a two-page application. But here's the thing. People do need to come ready with their state ID, with their social security card, with um, a high school diploma or GED, proof of that, as well as um, a COVID vaccine card or exemption. Now, we're asking that they come prepared. <clears throat> Most people have a resume. However, it's so old or it's out of date, that doesn't matter. We just need something to start with. So even if you wrote down the list of your job experience or your know-hows, I know how to use a broom, a mop, a computer, a cash register, that allows us to be able to formulate that into a working resume that we can then pass out to our employment connectors. We are um, very pleased to have some connections with, um, uh, I'm sorry, Foreman Mills, ShopRite, Dietz and Watson. And again, the employment connector who got me the job is working with our graduates to get them full-time career jobs. So whether they want to go into carpentry, engineering, uh, construction, things of that nature, working for Pico, she has jobs with SEPTA, but these are her connections. And it's one of those things where we have to prepare you because now you're working off my reputation and my name in the name of mercy and this program. And I need you to be on work on time. So if you come to class on time, I, I can trust and believe that you'll go to work on time yeah. and you're getting paid both ways. Mm -hmm. It's a two way street. You got to show up with preparedness for somebody to be able to help you. Sometimes you got to make sure that you're willing to do the work. You got to do the work. You know, I understand that. So the program itself was created to combat like that violence on the streets and provide an opportunity for people, right? To gain those skills and insights into job seeking. 
So do you think that you can talk about a little bit of what that link is between like violence and the lack of job accessibility as you see it? So what I'm seeing based on the cohorts that I have taught is that a lot of the young men and women are apprehensive about presenting themselves the self-worth and self-confidence because of what they see via news, via media is not there. And the support systems they have or don't have or don't seek. So what I'm seeing is that a lot of times it's not just about the resume, it's about the mentorship. It's about finding out who that person is and what trauma that they have actually um, been involved in or witness that is prohibiting them from seeking opportunities to move forward. And once we start to address that and we deal with our classroom and trauma-informed care, because I don't want to re-traumatize someone talking about the gun violence that's going on. What I want to do is say, yes, that has happened. And here's how you can move forward. Here are the resources available to you to help you better yourself and feel better. You know, we can't change the past and we are very hurt by it. However, if you stay in that hurt, you will drown in that hurt. What we want to do is acknowledge the hurt and move from the hurt in a positive way to enhance our city. Like we're all a collection of neighborhoods, but in those neighborhoods are people. Those people are the people that make up our community. So we have to affect and affect it as a whole, not just the individual section. So to go with that, this program was technically targeted for the Tioga, Nicetown, Germantown, North Philly sections. However, I've had people from West Philly, from South Philly, and we talk about the dangers of traveling through the city, the dangers of using public transportation because you never know who you're going to see. Um, I even was warned that, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to come to your class because I don't know who else is going to be there and I don't want to turn your class out. And I was appreciative of that. I said, so when I start my virtual classes, you will be there. <laughs> I'm going to work around it. I was at a conference yesterday and I told them team pivot. When something happens that doesn't allow you to stay on the same trajectory to get to your end goal, all you need to do is pivot to get to that goal. So if that means I have to go around, I go over, I start an online class, I do a Saturday class, I come to your location. That's what we're willing to do. That's how we're willing to combat this gun violence because you need to have one, the mentorship, the willingness from the person and somebody who actually cares. I care. I wanna make sure they know there's someone in their corner that cares. I love One that. more thing, in my classroom, I keep some um, uh, pom-poms because I told them I never was a cheerleader in school, but I'm going to be their cheerleader today. So <laughs> this is one of the, I want to say props that I do to let them know I'm here. They have my phone number. They have my email. They can call me at any time. Most of the time it's about work, but sometimes it's not. It's just regular every day. I have a situation with this, what should I do? Well, here's who you should talk to. Cause if it's not my forte, I'm not gonna give you information that I'm not mm -hmm. privy to, or I don't truly understand. I'm gonna pass you off to someone who knows. 
And luckily, we've been making a lot of wonderful connections so that I can get these young men in front of the other right young men to get that help that they need. I love that. And I especially love the cheerleader prop overall, because we need cheerleaders. And I mean, they need to see it. People need to know that people are rooting for them. So I 100% really, really appreciate that. And so overall, what has the reception been from the folks who have been through this program? I'm sure like it's been very transforming. So what have they said? How have they, you know, received the skills and how have they transformed? How have their lives been transformed? In many ways, my very first graduate student who was a Latinx female, she um, did a PSA for us and basically said, thank you for giving me the confidence to realize my worth, for um, asking for what I'm worth and going to a job, not just because I need a job, but because I like what I do. So that was the like the first one and that was just so awesome since then i have asked we do evaluations and things like that and they tell you in that way but a lot of times it's the the hugs the thank you miss nicole the if it wasn't for you i wouldn't even try to organize my day if it wasn't for this class i wouldn't even have got up before noon this that and the other so you get those things and then because my classroom is set up like a business, you need to come dressed. I don't need to see you if you're not going to go to work because we have employers that pop in on us. And if you're not appropriately dressed, okay, they might look you over, but yeah, you have all the skills in the world. You got forklift, you got safe serve, you got all these certifications, but you came in there in the whole TI suit, like, no. <laughs> I'm looking for button ups. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, you work with what you have. Mm -hmm. And please, if you got a problem with clothing, I got resources for that. Career wardrobe or oh, the wardrobe will help you. But you have to talk. I don't know what's in your closet, but I let them know from the beginning what resources we have and what's expected of them. Young One young man, he wanted to keep wearing his hat in class. I said, okay, let's have a talk. Do you need a haircut? Is that why you want to wear this hat? If not, brush your hair and come on because you cannot wear hats in my classroom. He was like, well, I do need a haircut. Let me send you somewhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. He came back. He snatched that half off when he got in class. I was like, okay, now that's a fade. That's what I'm talking about. But it's the encouragement. Like I said, that cheerleader role, you give them and they give it back to me. Thank you, Miss Nicole. I would have never thought that I would have been able to do this. I didn't even think about the skills that I have done. Cause you know, depending on the volunteer work that they've done and a lot of our re-entry folks have done a lot of work while they were away. But quantifying and qualifying that is something that they're not used to doing. So what I do is take time and talk to them. Mm -hmm. So you was in charge of what? The whole linen room. You did what? How many bags of clothes? You was in charge of how many people on the team? Okay, let's turn that into teamwork, delegation, supervision, okay? Conflict resolution, you have all these skills, but again, if you don't know the words that are being used in today's job market, you won't know how to put that on the resume, and that's what I'm here for. So my students are 
extremely appreciative of the spin that I take with what they've actually done. I can imagine. And the more I hear you speak, Nicole, I just feel like all the mutual care and support and the connectivity, the interdependence. And how does that make you feel knowing that you're able to connect people to all of these great resources, helping them not just necessarily build skills, but be able to present their skills and sell them, like not necessarily sell themselves. That sounds weird, but market themselves. One of the biggest things that we do is this 30 second elevator speech. And people are so shy. But if you see them on the corner hanging out on the block, they loud as hell. So what we do is tell them to take that same energy and tell a person on the elevator who you are. And so most of the time I have to go first because, you know, they have to see it to believe it and do this. And I'm like, hi, my name is Nicole Cobb. I have 10 years of academic administrative work. My last job was at Mercy Neighborhood Ministries doing a path to prosperity. My strengths include problem solving, communication, teamwork and collaboration. I am so um, pleased to meet you and look forward to what I can do for your company in the future. And they're looking like, you do that? That's what you do? Yes, that's what I do. Now, now I need you to do it. And so <laughs> <laughs> it's just that simple. Who are you? What mm -hmm. can you do? But if you're not used to saying it, repetition is key for that part. Repetition is key, saying it over and over again. So in each class after the first class, and we have them for eight classes, every class at the beginning, they're doing their 30 seconds. And at the end, they're doing their 30 seconds just to make sure. So how does it make me feel? Grateful, overwhelmed, excited, happy, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I um, I, I'm 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 pleased. I am very pleased to be able to do this work. Pleased that it's being appreciated. Pleased that I'm able to make those connections and get people to know. I have no problem telling people I need help. I have no problem telling people, can you help me spread the word? I have no problem talking at all. So it's just one of those things where if you get me in front of a group of people, give me two seconds on the microphone, I will get my word out there and gather some people to say, let me help you. Somebody helped me. I didn't do all of this by myself. Please believe I did not get here alone. So because of that, I know what it's like for somebody to put their hand out and say, let me help you up. So yeah, I'm, I'm real excited. <laughs> so the program is sometimes, I think I read that it's like four to six weeks, depending on what it, which cohort it is, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so what skills besides like the resume building, the 30 second um, pitches do people learn within that time period? We also have to cover soft skills versus hard skills transferable skills because you have people coming from one industry going into a next and sometimes they just don't understand a hard skill is when you know how to use a computer a jackhammer a broom so forth and so on those are objects that you use that are hard you touch but soft skills are things that you can't necessarily touch your communication your conflict resolution how you do team building, how you do uh, delegation, 
how you provide customer service. Very simple things. How you communicate really is, is the basis of it all. How do you get people to understand what you're saying in a clear and concise manner to do what you need them to do? So in a customer service world, you need them to tell you what's wrong so that you can fix it. How do you get that information from them? In an ad academic world, how do you talk to that student to find out what they want to do with their lives so you know what classes to help them select? Same difference, even in the construction world. You're going to be drilling over here. You need to let everybody know. Don't walk over here because it's about to be a big hole. Same difference, but it's all about communication. And so those are the types of things that we get them because each person is different and their transferable skills are different. So, for example, had a, a woman that was coming from uh, child care, daycare setting, and now she wanted to go into retail, into customer service. Okay, let's talk about the transferable skills. You had to have communication with the kids. You had to do conflict resolution. Wait a minute, didn't you have to do time management because they had to take naps and you had to feed them at a certain time and they had to go out and play? Okay, now you also had to do um, delegation skills to the other workers there in case you needed help with the student. So there are so many different skills that they're not aware of that are transferable to other jobs. And the biggest thing with that is letting people know in your cover letter and your resume that you're interested in transitioning into a new job. So just because I see your resume and I see that you were in childcare, that's not where your career trajectory is leading you. But your cover letter would tell me that. Because if not, I just see your resume and I think you want to go back into childcare. So it has to, it has to mesh and it has to match the job description. So we teach them a lot of things about how to be a little bit more observant in the job world and making sure that their resume patch, um, the resume and cover letter matches the job description. One of the biggest things is reminding them to say thank you to whomever interviews you because that last little note might be the thing that gets you in because the other people didn't say anything, but you did. You thanked them for their time. Something just that simple is what works. Yep, people don't think about it. I love that idea of transferable skills because I actually have a background in, I started in, my last year of high school, I started cooking and I cooked for six years in a restaurant and that was primarily what I did besides teaching some kids at a nonprofit. And when I say the amount of skills I tell people I gained from working in a restaurant, you gain so many skills, so many public service skills. People don't realize like you're communicating with people, you're doing money. So you're doing math all the time. You're doing, of course, time management. I worked on the grill. I mm. worked on the grill, which means time management was very important. <laughs> and so people don't understand that. And so I love the fact that that's one of the things that y'all teach there. I guess my last question, Nicole, is just going to be, how do people get in contact with you or register for a cohort? So a Path to Prosperity, my direct phone number is 610-952-2184. I take phone calls, voicemails, text messages, anything. Now, as far as our website, 
you can reach us at www.mercyneighbors.org and you want to click the job readiness tab. On the job readiness tab is a register here. Click that and fill out the information and call me. We have a class starting this Thursday, if anyone is interested, at 1.30 at Temple University. So you can come there and hear about the program, decide if it's something that you want to do, but hear about it in person, hear it from me directly, hear it from some former students so that you can understand what it is to go through this program and how we actually put you in front of an employer once you're done, if that's the job that you want. Well, Nicole, you shared a lot of great information. I loved hearing about it. I love your energy and your spirit. And I really want to thank you for just taking some of your time today to chat with us at the Info Hub about the amazing work that Path to Prosperity is doing. And I really do hope to connect with you again soon. Yes, you will. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Nicole. Well, I hope that you'll be well and that you'll take it easy. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you have any story ideas or information that you want to share with the Germantown Info Hub, you can be, please feel free to email gtown.infohub at gmail.com. You can also keep up with us on social media at Gtown Info Hub on Twitter and Instagram and Germantown Info Hub on Facebook. And additionally, you can read our stories at gtowninfohub.org. And that is about it. I want to thank our guests, Nicole Cobb and Talia Grimmage, for speaking with us today. And then thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging as always. And until next time, good night, Germantown. <laughs>